Axis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Philadelphia's oil blues and Apple erases podcast stars. But first, the hack heard round the world. So if it weren't for the ongoing impeachment, the country's biggest story right now would probably be allegations endorsed yesterday by the United Nations that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman hacked Jeff Bezos's phone, extracting a massive amount of data over a period of several months in 2018. Here's the quick timeline. On April 4th, 2018, Bezos and MBS meet at a dinner party. Weeks later, MBS sends Bezos a video message via WhatsApp and allegedly includes a secret piece of code that had been created by an Israeli spyware firm called NSO Group. This is at around the same time that Saudi dissident Jamal Khashoggi is writing critically of Saudi Arabia in the Bezos-owned Washington Post. A few months later, Khashoggi gets murdered by the Saudi government, with the CIA concluding that MBS himself was involved. Soon after that, the National Enquirer exposes that Bezos is cheating on his wife, and they've got cell phone photos. The mistress's brother admits to leaking information about the affair, but insists that the photos didn't come from him. MBS privately texts Bezos, saying he's got nothing against the billionaire or his companies, but Bezos has some different information and hires a consultant to examine his iPhone. That leads to the forensic report that the UN yesterday concluded, quote, with medium to high confidence that MBS hacked Bezos. And that conclusion matters a lot, even though the Saudis loudly deny it. Politically, because it means a U.S. ally may have hacked someone who leads one of America's largest corporations and owns one of its most influential media outlets. Plus, top Trump advisor Jared Kushner reportedly has used WhatsApp to communicate with MBS. And that Israeli company, NSO Group, they used to be advised by former Trump national security advisor and current federal convict Michael Flynn. From a tech perspective, WhatsApp is owned by Facebook, which already last October sued NSO Group related to potential hacking based on vulnerabilities in WhatsApp. And from a business angle, at the time of the alleged hack, NSO Group was owned by a U.S. private equity firm whose investors include some of the country's largest public and corporate pension funds. The bottom line here is that this incident, if verified, touches at the highest levels of American power, both private and public. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with CyberScoop reporter Shannon Vavra. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. We're joined now by Shannon Vavra, a former Axios colleague who now covers cyber warfare and the NSA for CyberScoop. So, Shannon, let's start here. How does the UN, the United Nations, become involved in this? Because this isn't the sort of thing, the sort of investigative work we think of usually when we think about the UN. Right. So there was a report that was conducted by FTI Consulting. It's a business firm located in Washington, D.C. Their cybersecurity team conducted an analysis of Jeff Bezos's phone after he believed he'd been hacked by Mohammed bin Salman in 2018. And the United Nations became aware of this investigative report, and they issued a statement analyzing the report this week, sort of putting their political will behind it, saying that mobile malware and spyware like this needs to be reined in. Let me ask about the malware part. And this is admittedly going to be me getting a bit ahead of my skis from a technological standpoint. But my understanding of the FTI report is they didn't find actual malware per se, but they did find what they called suspicious code and then a massive extraction of data from Bezos's phone. So is the lack of malware, is that important? Or is the fact that the data started leaving indication that whether, quote, official malware or not, it's the same? 
same effect. All these questions have come up in the information security community as all of us are kind of doing a postmortem of the FTI report that's become public thanks to Motherboard for publishing it. But there's a lot of caveats involved here. They didn't find the malware, as you said, even though they believe there was malware on Bezos's phone. But the fact that there's no smoking gun there is really interesting in part because of the analysis that they conducted and the reasons why they say they were unable to conduct certain analysis. So not to get too technical, but for instance, they say that encryption prevented them from analyzing the contents of the downloader, which is what they say delivered the suspicious video file. When you say encryption, you mean encryption in the code that Ben Salman said or just the general encryption because he used WhatsApp, which is an encrypted messaging service? General encryption here on WhatsApp, but also the downloader was encrypted itself, which makes it difficult to access. But the issue here is downloaders, when they come through WhatsApp, are downloaded alongside with the keys that would decrypt the downloader. So it's a little confusing to hear that encryption prevented them from accessing it. And the fact that the report doesn't really explain what happened there has left a lot of people in the information security community confused about why they were unable to access that information. Facebook last October sued NSO Group. Now, NSO Group is the company that created apparently the spyware that allegedly MBS and the Saudis used here. Facebook sued them for something like this. Does this track, in other words, is what Facebook sued NSO Group for very similar to what it seems FTI and the UN found? Facebook sued NSO Group for allowing hackers to use a flaw in WhatsApp that allowed hackers to hack hundreds of journalists and politicians. And what's interesting here is on top of Facebook suing here, there's also an Israeli human rights lawyer who's suing Israel's Ministry of Defense that he hopes would restrict companies' ability to sell spyware like this. And if there's political will to change the way that export licenses work for this, that would be really interesting and important for people who are either prominent like Jeff Bezos or vulnerable like political dissidents or journalists here. I'm reporting now based on what you said on Twitter. You tried to get comment repeatedly from the U.S. State Department on this. And what they came back to you with finally was, quote, we are aware of the media reports and are concerned about the allegations, end quote. Nowhere in that statement is, and we plan to investigate. To your knowledge, do U.S. authorities plan to investigate? There has been reporting that the FBI is investigating this, but the State Department basically refused to answer my questions on that. That's kind of what their response was to. I was asking whether they were going to launch an investigation, whether they support an investigation being launched. And the reason that matters is because the United Nations officials who are coming out on this based on this report are saying, one, the U.S. should be investigating this. Two, other law enforcement agencies around the world should be investigating Mohammed bin Salman's alleged involvement in hacking Jeff Bezos, but also other political dissidents around the world. We know that researchers and cybersecurity researchers have documented that political dissidents and journalists in Mexico and Morocco have been targeted with spyware like this, and it raises a lot of concern for the United Nations. Final question for you, and let me ask about a political figure who's not a dissident, which is Jared Kushner. There was reporting a couple of years ago that he was regularly communicating with MBS via WhatsApp, and there were security people at the time who raised red flags about that. Should, you know, whether it be the FBI or State Department or Justice, should they be also concerned that beyond Bezos, that there are senior people in the White House who have communicated with MBS via this same technology. That's definitely something that causes some concern in the information security community. And um, a first takeaway from this is don't go texting MBS, right? But we can't really be flippant about it because it's a major national security issue when you can be able to send an MP4 a video file and then possibly infect someone else's phone with malware. And they don't have to take any action necessarily. And the other thing here is just on a high level, MBS went on a tour of the U.S. and everybody fell for it, right? He said, I'm going to radically change Saudi Arabia. 
I'm going to rule in a different way. But meanwhile, he's jailing political dissidents. He's going to soon murder Jamal Khashoggi, the American journalist who was a columnist at the Post, and then also allegedly hacking Bezos now. And it just raises questions about who cozied up to Saudi Arabia and why, and who's still cozied up to Saudi Arabia and why. Shannon Vavra of CyberScoop, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two, and we begin in South Philadelphia, where a 5,000-acre oil refinery property has sat silent since last summer, when part of it caught fire and exploded. The facility is called Philadelphia Energy Solutions, and previously had been the East Coast's largest and oldest oil refinery, and it's the one you often see when flying into Philly's airport. It had begun struggling in the earlier part of last decade, before private equity firm the Carlyle Group swooped in and struck a deal with existing owner Sunoco, saving 850 jobs, and it's the sort of thing that Carlisle talked about a lot. It was the good private equity story. But then the company slumped again, filed for bankruptcy in 2016, clawed its way back out, and then, well, again, it literally exploded. Sadly, the new news is that a Chicago-based investment firm has agreed to buy the property out of bankruptcy, but has no plans to reopen it as a refinery, meaning that the 1,000 or so jobs, many of which had been filled by union steel workers, aren't coming back. And finally this morning, if you listen to these podcasts via Apple iTunes, you may have noticed that the star ratings have disappeared. If you've seen these, you used to be able to give us one star to five stars, but not anymore. The written user reviews, those still exist, just not the stars, kind of following a trend by other certain social media platforms that's de-emphasizing things like likes. So if you want to leave us a review, you'll have to actually leave us a review. We look forward to reading it and no longer having to stress over stars. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Pie Day. Not Apple Pie Day or Cherry Pie Day, just Pie Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.